Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. And since season four of Supergirl has been inspired by the Elseworlds story Superman Red Sun, for this episode of the podcast, we are joined by Greg Katzman, who is a freelance writer for Comic Book Resources, to discuss and review it. So welcome to Supergirl Radio, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing your thoughts about this story and uh, all things comics and Superman and Supergirl. Um, but before we get into our Red Sun discussion, uh, since this is your first time on Supergirl Radio, we like to ask people what their history is with the character of Supergirl. Where did you first encounter her? What's, what's your first memory of Supergirl? You know, I, I would love to say that my first encounter was like on Crisis on Infinite Earths during her, you know, heroic battle against the Anti-Monitor or something like that. But I actually think it was from um, Batman's animated show, I believe, The New Batman Adventures uh, during pretty sure the episode's called Girls' Night Out. It is. Yeah. Um, it wasn't in <laughs> Superman, the animated series. I didn't grow to uh, appreciate that until later on. But uh, yeah, I believe it was the animated version in uh, the new Batman adventure, Girls' Night Out. New Batman Adventures, yes, excuse me. That's a great episode where she teams up with Batgirl. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, if, if people have never seen it, check it out. It's a good one. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And um, what's your history with Superman Red Sun? Uh, when did you first read it? Um, what's your history with that book? When I was a kid, I, I was a very casual comic book reader. I was more into the animated shows and the movies. And then I kind of drifted away until college. Um, that's when I you know, found myself uh, interested in the characters again. So I started um, you know, playing catch-up with the comics. Uh, I think it was... Uh, the movies that really motivated me to do that. And I started playing catch up with all the characters I loved as a child. And, you know, I'm ashamed to say, but Superman is one of the characters that I didn't really like that much as a kid. It's not that I dislike Superman. It's just that as a young, immature kid, I thought Superman was boring. You know, I, I didn't really appreciate what the character stands for. And how always being optimistic and always trying to do the right thing is actually way harder than being someone like Gambit, you know, someone who occasionally bends the rules. Um, it, it's it's one of the most difficult things you can do in this life is to always hold on to hope no matter how dark things get. Um, so I wanted to give Superman a chance. And uh, I, I think one of the first things I did was I checked out the animated series because I caught a couple episodes here and there as a kid and I just fell in love with it. I thought it was terrific. And then I, of course, started looking up, you know, what are the best Superman stories? And uh, Red Sun was, of course, on that list. Um, It wasn't the first Superman comic I read, but it was up there. It was maybe, you know, uh, maybe like the fifth collection that I read or something like that. I, of course, read, you know, Jeff Johns stuff, uh, some of the classic stuff. Uh, Mark Waite's Birthright. Um, And then my personal favorite was uh, What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way, which is a funny title given the (laughs) subject of this podcast episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it was one of, it was was among the first collections for Superman that I read, and uh, I fell in love with it because it was totally unlike the other Superman stories that I read, and in all the right ways. Um, you know, a story can be new reader friendly, but often they're immersed 
uh, in such a rich mythos where, you know, it, it claims to be new reader friendly, but you still feel like you're missing out a little bit if you don't have a proper grasp on all the history. There are plenty of great stories that, you know, you can just pick up and read, but I kind of felt that way with Superman and I kept wanting to read more and more. And Red Sun was one of the first stories uh, involving the Man of Steel where it was uh, purely a standalone piece and it was a totally new take on not only Superman, but the entire universe. Well, I guess you could say the entire... Yeah, no. I think the entire universe is is, is a fair statement. I was going to correct myself and say planet. Yeah. But uh, given the turn of events <laughs> in the end, um, yeah. Uh, so I, I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was, um, it was interesting the way uh, Mark Millar... Uh, showed that deep down Superman is a character who, who, no matter how he's brought up, is, well, actually, we'll discuss that in a little bit, I imagine. Uh, <laughs> no matter where he's brought up, uh, deep down he's a good person who wants to do the right thing. He just may be going about it the wrong way. What's that saying? The, the road to hell is paved with good intentions or something yes. like that? Yeah, that, that's that's a good line for this book and this version of Superman. Yeah, if you grew up thinking that Superman was boring, this book is eye-opening. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> because he, he's very complicated, and uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on with the character of Superman. And you, you talked about... Uh, uh, about how uh, some books will honor the history. And I, I, f- I feel like Red Sun does that so much within the pages of the art and even with the um, some of the dialogue and the, the Easter eggs that are in the book. So uh, if you're a big Superman fan, uh, Superman Red Sun is a must read. And I'm curious, Morgan, um, was uh, reading it for the, the podcast, was this the first time you had read it? It was the first time I had read it, actually. So I was excited. I was like, what is this? And and I was super surprised because I, I knew a little bit about the background, obviously, because of what's going on on the show. Um, but, man, I did not see a lot of those twists and turns coming. <laughs> <laughs> there are some twists and turns, and we'll definitely discuss them. Uh, my history with Superman Red Sun, is, it sounds a little bit like yours, Greg. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, uh, I got I I'd kind of dabbled in a little bit of comics when I was a kid, but it wasn't until my early 20s that I really started reading comics, like legit reading comics. And uh, Superman was one of the characters that I just I consumed as many graphic novels and trade paperbacks that I could. And Superman Red Sun was one of those books. Um, so I, I I definitely read it then and reread it for the podcast. I hadn't read it in, ooh, I don't know, 10, 12 years, something like that. So it is kind of, um, it is a little bit different for me, having read it in my, um, I, I guess, early, mid-20s, than uh, reading it now, which I don't want to date myself uh, to, to, <laughs> to uh, add those uh, years into how old I am now. Uh, but... I, there is a difference in terms of life experience and sort of, uh, wor- you know, the worldview that I have developed. And it's it's a different, you know, I, I, I had a different reading of it this time. So it is, uh, it is quite the story. So we will definitely get into discussing that. But before we do that, we need to get to... The news. 
Since Superman Red Sun is an Elseworlds story, it seemed fitting to report that the CW's special three-night DC crossover event coming in December is titled Elseworlds. This event will introduce the villain Mar Novu, a.k.a. The Monitor, who is described as, quote, an extraterrestrial being of infinite power known as The Monitor. Actor LaMonica Garrett of Designated Survivor in The Last Ship, if you're a fan of those shows, uh, has been cast in the role. The Monitor was created by Marv Wolfman and George Perez as part of DC Comics' 50th anniversary. Mr. Perez will be illustrating a sketch of The Monitor that plays a prominent role in the crossover story. So I wonder if they'll be releasing a new uh, piece of artwork like they did with the big uh, crossover on Earth-X they had that, um, they sort of mimicked another comic book cover for that one. So I wonder if they'll do something similar. So that's very exciting. So, um, Greg, do you know anything about the monitor or the, the monitors in DC Comics? Um, yeah, I mean, it comes from uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was a, a massive storyline for the publisher. And, um, yeah, uh, created a drastic change. And as I'm sure... Uh, you know, and you've you may have already discussed um, on your show that Supergirl, of course, plays a very memorable and uh, unfortunately tragic role in that story. Yeah, it's uh, very memorable for the death of Supergirl. Uh, let's hope that doesn't happen in this <laughs> this year's crossover. Uh, the only thing that I know about monitors in DC Comics, I know of the Anti Monitor. Um, who is sort of the, the big bad, I think, in, in Crisis, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, the Anti-Monitor, I think, what, eats worlds? Is that the thing with the Anti-Monitor? I can't remember now. Uh, not just worlds. It's it's basically like, I don't want to say limitless, so I guess near near limitless uh, powers that can just uh, just constantly consume. Yeah, just destroying everything. Uh, so this would be a, uh, a really powerful foe in the crossover. So I am excited to see what comes of that because uh, Elseworlds are awesome. So I, I wonder how that's going to play into the crossover event. Mor- Morgan, do you have any thoughts about Elseworlds? No, I'm just uh, I'm excited for what the crossover event might be. Um, I think that that sounds exciting, especially I, I like the, the topic of Elseworlds. I think that should be fun. Yeah, especially since we're going to get to meet Batwoman. Uh, we know Superman and Lois Lane will be there. So uh, I'm, I'm very interested in why it is called Elseworlds. Um, and what that might uh, have to do with the story, because we don't really know anything about the story. Uh, so we'll have to, I guess, discover that when it, time comes in December. What's interesting is, though, that, um, you know, we're kind of assuming it's the Anti-Monitor, but there there is a character in that storyline who opposes the Anti-Monitor, and they're simply called the Monitor. So it'll be interesting to see how they adapt the storyline and kind of play around with it and bend it in new ways. Because obviously something like Crisis on Infinite Earths, that's that's a little ambitious for a TV show to adapt. <laughs> well, and that may be who LaMonica Garrett is playing. Uh, the, this uh, Mar Novu character is supposed to be the monitor. So maybe this is actually, I, I assumed it would be uh, a villain because that's what it says in uh, the uh, report, the online report. But... I don't know. Maybe maybe it could also be a hero. Maybe maybe Mar Novu starts out as a villain and becomes a hero at the end. We don't know. Could be anything. Uh, so yeah, this is this is going to be an exciting one um, to to see what they do with the Flash, Arrow, and Supergirl in December. 
All right. Well, that's going to cover our news for this episode of Supergirl Radio. So let's get into why we're here. We're going to discuss a Superman Red Sun. Superman Red Sun was written by Mark Millar with art by Dave Johnson and Killian Plunkett. Uh, The DC Comics description for this series reads, quote, He's a strange visitor from another world who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, as the champion of the common worker, fights a never-ending battle for Stalin, socialism, and the international expansion of the Warsaw Pact. A deftly written alternate take on the mythos of the Man of Steel, Red Sun explores the classic tale of Superman's origins if his rocket ship had landed in the Soviet Union rather than Smallville, Kansas, unquote. Uh, So I guess that's maybe a good place to start in this uh, discussion of Superman Red Sun because the story, one of the bigger themes, I know we can talk about a whole bunch of them, uh, but it's this idea that Superman grows up in another uh, section of the world with different values. How does that change him? So, Greg, what are your thoughts on that in, in terms of the nature versus nurture aspect of the story? I think it's interesting because it really focuses on the society, the nation that uh, Superman grew up in, as opposed to how he was raised that's kind of glossed over we see that he landed uh near farmers so it's entirely possible that they were you know good-hearted people just like the kents or maybe they weren't um i I also don't remember if they specified about uh stalin um kind of almost immediately taking in uh the kryptonian well can we even call him a Kryptonian? I guess not. Ah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's part of the the twist there at the end. Yeah. Dun, dun. Uh, as, as to whether or not, uh, I I think, yeah, we'll we'll get there. I guess, uh, but yeah, so it, there is there is the question of uh, we we know his rocket ship crashed in the Ukraine, um, and that he was uh, that he grew up on a collective farm somewhere there. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point that we don't know exactly everything that happened when he grew up. At the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's saying that Superman deep down, no matter what version of the character we're seeing, it's someone who always wants to try to help people. And this version of Superman, he eventually sees that people in his nation are suffering and he does everything that he believes is the right thing to protect them. And unfortunately, that turns turns him into a tyrant where people trade uh, freedom uh, for security. And a, it guarantees them uh, some things that they were lacking. Uh, but again, it means they're giving up their freedom. The, uh, the X-ray vision of Superman is always watching. That's how they feel. Um, so it's kind of a scary society, but it's one where Superman feels that He's at least protecting everyone. He loves them. He wants to keep them safe. And it's a it's kind of like the saying, you know, if a parent says, I, I'm doing it for your own good, you know, like you may not like it, but it's for your own good. That's kind of what this Superman is doing. And in the end, it's Lex who uses that against him to give him that that epiphany, that that Martha moment, if you will, that he's <laughs> been going up, you know, that he's been going about it all wrong. Just one sentence hits him that, wow, what what have I become? I, I can't believe this is what I'm doing. I'm wrong. And um, 
self-reflecting is always one of the most difficult things we can do. It's, uh, you know, we always want to believe we're doing the right thing. We always want to believe we're the hero in our own story. But sometimes it's important to take a step back and say, am I really doing the right thing here? And uh, unfortunately, this version of Superman was not. And uh, it's interesting, too, because it shows what Lex Luthor could accomplish if he wasn't driven by jealousy and hatred. Yeah, uh, the this Superman does uh, eventually go through a period of self-reflection, and he, he talks it out with Wonder Woman a little bit. And I, I think that's really uh, interesting that, you know, she uh, was sort of like him in the fact that they had superpowers and that he could ask her these questions about, you know, maybe they do interfere with humanity too much. Maybe they're trying to do too much um, that humanity maybe should have more freedom. And I, I like that um, that you mentioned freedom versus security. Uh, reminds me of that um, Benjamin Franklin quote that he said, the man who trades freedom for security does not deserve, nor will he ever receive either. So uh, I think that's a, an interesting uh, thing to look at in terms of the story, because there is a, a, a period of uh, freedom that, that that is taken from the citizens that he that Superman is uh, looking after. Um, so I think that that's a, a really good uh, way to look at that. Um, Morgan, what, what are your thoughts on this version of Superman and maybe how he differs in terms of where he grows up and his beliefs that he uh, that he holds? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, you guys are talking about the like the idea of security versus freedom. I think at one point he's he might be talking to Wonder Woman. He's talking about how maybe they are interfering too much. And he, he makes a comment like people don't even wear seatbelts anymore because they just expect that Superman is going to save them. So it's just like the idea, not only that, like he kind of becomes authoritarian uh, as he goes along because he starts to think, well, you know, I have all the answers, but also he's kind of like, because people start to rely on Superman so much, they become complacent in their own lives and like looking after their own safety. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's something that he has to wrestle with because he knows that he can, with his power and his position, he knows he can help people. There's that uh, that little bit of a, a scene with the Lana of the story. Uh, I think her name in this version is Lana Lazarenko. Um, and she has a child child in this, uh, I guess it's a bread line or something, and he wants to make sure that they have something to eat, and so he requests that they go to the front of the line, and everyone in the line is like, hey, hold up, we're here too, we, we're hungry just as much as those people are, and so I think he has this urge that he wants to help people, he knows that he can do something to help them. Um, but maybe maybe there there's something about the fact that we as humans should be doing some of that stuff for ourselves. I think that that's something that I thought was really powerful in this story is that um, I think there is, what does he say there at the end with Brainiac? Uh, um, yeah, so there's, there's a, a whole twist at the end where Brainiac is kind of, uh, I know we're sort of skipping to the end a little <laughs> bit, but uh, but Brainiac is basically pulling his strings a little bit. The whole the whole uh, situation is that Brainiac wants to create this utopia of the world so that he can he can basically uh, have 
earth in, in his collection. Um, Superman, when he finally realizes what's going going on, he says, um, uh, at least leaving them alone means they can make their own mistakes again. And I thought that that was really uh, powerful in terms of free will. You know, if, if we're talking about freedom versus security, you know, you uh, in order to be free, that also might mean that you might mess up that you might uh, do something boneheaded, that you might make mistakes, that you might screw up, but at least you're free. And and the, the, what really kind of freaks me out about, about the way Superman and Brainiac uh, go about their business is that they have they turn people into these Superman robots, mm-hmm. and they uh, yeah. they they I, I guess like do something to their brains. Um, and that really kind of freaks me out because it's like you lose that part of yourself that is able to make those mistakes and have that free will. Um, so there, there's a lot to be said there in, in terms of, um, controlling people versus, you know, letting people make their own mistakes and have that freedom. To errors human. Yes. Wait, did I mess that up? I totally, isn't it to errors? I don't know. I messed it up. I'm tired. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to err is human, to forgive is divine. Oh, so I got it right. And then I messed it up by saying I messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> you were so close. You were almost there. <laughs> uh, that just means that you're human um, and that, uh, that that is normal for us because no one is perfect. Um, well, Greg, are there any other kind of big themes that, that you got out of this story? Just the handling of propaganda, where at the end of the day, if all these people gathered and just had a good conversation, so much could have been prevented. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like so much can be solved through listening to the people you disagree with and having an open and sincere conversation. But instead, um, they you know, spread lies about their enemy early on. It's, uh, you know, there's paranoia about the Russians uh, are always watching, you know. They take that quite literally with saying Superman is reported flying throughout the United States and watching everyone. Um, but that that goes back again, I guess, to uh, dealing with security versus freedom. That's a really good point, though, about... Um talking it out with other people. And that's something that uh, Superman in the story uh, has an issue with because when he's he's been working with Brainiac and Brainiac is trying to get him to do something that he doesn't want to, um, he, but Brainiac is basically like, we can make them do this. We can force them to do this. And Superman even says, you know, I don't want to invade Everything that I've accomplished, I've done by winning the argument. And he doesn't want to submit, you know, he doesn't want to beat people into submission. Um, even though he could, he physically is stronger than everyone else. Um, so I, I think that that's a really good point. And I think that's something that Superman struggles with. Yeah, and I love how at the end of the day, Lex Luthor threw all these physical attacks at Superman. Uh, but in the very end, the most dangerous thing was just uh, going face to face with him. And talking to him and out debating him and proving that what he's doing is wrong. And that's why Brainiac interfered, because I I believe Brainiac said, like, if he didn't interfere, Lex Luthor could have talked Superman into committing suicide in like 14 minutes or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. And in the end, it's just one sentence from Lex Luthor that totally shatters Superman. Yeah. Superman spends all this time. Uh, doing what, you know, he's a little conflicted about, but the end justifies the means uh, because he believes he's keeping his people safe. 
And then just one sentence from Lex uh, causes it all to go just crashing, um, just shatters it completely. So that, that's very interesting, I thought. And what does he say there? I think it was, why don't, why don't you put the whole world in a bottle or something like that? That's what it is. I also like that the one sentence that he does is like, really petty <laughs> like, like just really like why don't you just put everyone in a bottle superman it's <laughs> like oh man that's a, a that's a solid burn lex <laughs> there's there's a wink face at the end of it that we can't yeah, see yeah. <laughs> just a fire emoji at the end <laughs> i didn't think about it in those terms but you're right it is it's very petty and uh really gets to the heart of things and it does make superman kind of walk away i mean he he basically realizes that he's become brainiac and he sort of walks away from all of that and i uh, i guess since we're we're talking about uh lex luther and and superman i guess we could take uh talk about more of their dynamic in this one because a lot of the story i i found that uh uh, that there were some parallels maybe uh, between the two of them. So Morgan, what did you think about Lex in this story? Uh, Lex was was real um, intense in this story. <laughs> mm. uh, I just like he he starts out as sort of a normal person, not super normal, but like <laughs> Lex normal, and then he just really spirals. I think my favorite part is when he calls up Lois and he's like. Uh, I hope you're okay, but like our marriage is just going to take an indefinite break while I just really, really obsess about this really good looking guy. Is that cool with you? And she's like, sure, seems great. (laughs) And I was just like, what is happening? Uh, I just I I like the. I like that the way that sort of they they portray him as being all too smart for his own good, and I like mm. there's a couple of um there's a couple of moments. I think there's a moment where he says like it's too bad Superman hadn't landed in America because I think we would have been best friends. <laughs> Which as as a, as a Smallville <laughs> lover, I was like, you guys sure would have been for a little while. Uh, <laughs> but I thought that that was it. Was he like really respected Superman's like power and his uh, intelligence but he was also like i still have to be the best yeah that that remark about um it's too bad you didn't land in the united states we would have been best friends it's interesting because it's just saying if you know superman's ship landed a few hours uh earlier or later i guess he could have landed in kansas it's just a matter of you know the ship took a little less time or more time technically I, I, I get I, I'm not sure which way but it, it it just a few hours I believe changed their entire planet yeah and uh Morgan I, I think it's funny that you you point out uh his his relationship his marriage to Lois in this Lois is Lois Luther not necessarily Lois Lane um but uh, I you know I, I did feel bad for for Lois in parts of this uh story and in terms of especially how Lex, uh, sort of put her on the back burner and all of that. Um, and I think he he did sort of see him 
itself as the only person who could defeat Superman. So he felt like that was the driving force of everything that he was going to do um, in, in terms of uh, figuring out all of these problems because he, he sees Superman as a problem um, that he needs to crack and, and figure out. Um, and I think for me, what really stood out to me this, uh, this most recent reading of this story is that um, for Lex Luthor, he is sort of the, um, the American flip of Superman in a little bit of a way, if I can sort of, uh, make this make sense, but they both they both do have good intentions. Lex wants to do good things for the United States, especially when he becomes president. He um, does a lot of good things for the economy. At the end of the book, it talks about how he he's cured cancer and AIDS has gone away and humans don't even need to sleep anymore. I feel like it got more and more disturbing. Like it starts out great, like. He cured cancer. He cured these diseases. It was like, great. And then it was like, he's cured all diseases. I was like, okay. And then it's like, <laughs> it's, and then I was like, people don't sleep anymore. And I was like, okay, but like, that's a, a lot of my uh, social activity, but okay. And then, <laughs> and then at the end, it's, it's like, uh, people are living until 800. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's like, uh, they, these seem like good ideas, but do we really want that? Like, I like to sleep. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy taking naps. Um, I don't know that I want to live in a world where I can't take a nap. Um, but they, Lex, like Superman, wants to do good things for his people. But they sort of become these tyrants because of the position and of, of power that they have. Even though Lex was a you know a democratically elected president, he had something. What, what did they say? Like one hundred and one percent of the vote, which I don't even know how <laughs> he had one hundred and one percent of the vote. And they're like, no one wanted to look into it too much. <laughs> <laughs> like, what was going on uh, in that something, voting process? Something a little bit fishy. Might have happened there (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't really add up um but he he was elected by the people superman of course was a little bit different because he came into power after stalin died he didn't want that power but he saw that he there was a a need that he could fill and uh go in there and help the people so they they both seemed like they wanted to do it for the good of the people but what i thought was really striking in this story in terms of the art is that they both have these big statues made of each of them at the end when Superman is defeated and Superman's statue is uh, taken down and then mm-hmm. Lex has this big statue that's um, that's put in uh, Lexor, formerly Metropolis, uh, which I just recently sort of learned about Lexor, uh, which is in the comics. It's like this... Uh, planet that Lex Luthor helps out and so they renamed the planet Lexor uh, so <laughs> <laughs> they were so grateful to Lex they just renamed their entire planet um, so I, I, th- I thought that that was really striking that they sort of became the same kind of leader and there's uh, there's a great uh, bunch of stuff with them you know p- they both play chess um, and I think that that's really interesting that it, the, the, the rivalry, I think, between them is sort of like them playing a chess game with each other and trying to one-up each other. And I, I think it's interesting that Lex ends up with the checkmate in this story. Um, so I, I find the dynamic between Superman and Lex Luthor very, um, very unique in this story because they are, I, I, th- I think that they are very much... Um, paralleled in this in the sense of how they come into power and how their good intentions 
would be good, except they sort of become these authoritarian figures. Yeah, I, I was just going to add to the commentary on Lex. Um, you know, it's interesting because the regular version of Superman uh, saves humanity by inspiring them, motivating people to be the best version of themselves that they can be. Uh, you know, Superman makes you want to be a better person. Whereas Lex, without Superman clouding his mind, gives humanity the means to survive longer. And then through that, they hopefully, they have a better means of life. Uh, but it's not, you know, their spirits, that's that's up for debate. He's, I, I don't really think he's actually inspiring people, but he is helping them if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. And uh, I think Superman even questions that because at one point he says that Lex sort of acts like he's doing it to help the people, but he's really doing all this despite me. Um, so yeah, there's, I think they question each other's motives uh, throughout the story. Um, are there any other characters that uh, you all would like to discuss? Uh, who, who are your, uh, Greg, who are your standout uh, characters in this story in terms of like the Elseworld take on them? Uh, which which one did you think was uh, the most interesting and different? Well, I, I mean, Batman always uh, comes to mind because of the character design. I think that immediately draws people to the character. Um, it, it's It's... It's interesting because the premise of this story was Superman's ship arrives at a different time, therefore it lands in a different place. But we then see it's it's not like Superman was raised on a version of Earth that is similar to the primary DC universe. There's still there's drastic changes all throughout because, you know, is, is there a Batman over in Gotham? Probably not. It seems like there's only a Batman over here who becomes Batman through having his parents murdered and then to add insult to injury is shot after that as well. Yeah. Like um, way harsh. Yeah. Incredibly way to, way harsh. Way to kick someone when they're down. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's interesting because he's a harsher Batman who is viewed as a terrorist. Um, and it was a little unclear if he was killing people when uh, he set off all those explosions. I don't recall. And yeah, he was, I think he says something like, if you don't want to blow up, get out of the building. But it's like, hmm. I mean, what if somebody was like, I'm going to stay? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I'm in the bathroom. What was that message? Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't hear that. You're um, in the bathroom and all you hear is like, wah, 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 wah. And you're uh, like, oh, that must just be an announcement. <laughs> yeah. But what's interesting is he threatened to uh, kill Superman. But then he saw in the end his plan was just to incarcerate Superman, which he thought was poetic justice. But he also referred to as the most humane way to deal with him. He didn't, you know, in the end, he could have killed Superman uh, when Superman was depowered, but he didn't. Uh, obviously, uh, things didn't go well for him after that. Uh, once, you know, Wonder Woman was able to break free uh, from the lasso. And um, speaking of Wonder Woman, uh, what, what did you guys think of her take? I, I felt it seems like in stories where Superman is the dictator, Wonder Woman tends to admire him and be by his side ah, that's an uh, but never yeah it's the same in injustice yeah. um my memory may be a little fuzzy on that but it seems like she kind of you know isn't treated that well i want to say um where she she wants to stand by him and falls for him because he's you know firmer i guess with his beliefs uh well not firmer with his beliefs i would say more stern in in his actions and his uh, 
his his uh, moral compass, I guess. Um, so it's kind of odd that because you know Wonder Woman's obviously very different from Superman. She's she's you know a warrior at the end of the day. She's okay doing what needs to be done to stop a threat, but she also wants to you know stop most threats with compassion and understanding. But uh, she she's a warrior, whereas Superman, you know, we wouldn't really describe him as such. But uh, in the story, I mean, how, how do you feel about her treatment? I, I feel like she's kind of a secondary character who's there to really just bounce these topics off of Superman, like the question of uh, are they doing too much uh, when it comes to uh, how they uh, interact with humanity and stuff like that. And then she's kind of cast aside after she injures herself to save him. And she realizes that, you know, he's he's kind of obsessed with power and blinded by it. Um, and um, sorry to go on a tangent here, but Lois Lane, I felt, um, was also kind of a distorted version of herself because we never even, as far as I recall, we never even saw why she married Lex Luthor. She's still a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, but somehow in this universe, she fell in love with Lex Luthor. Um, and I, you know, based on what we know about Lex <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And Lois, I would think that in the DC universe, if Superman never existed, I feel like Lex's nature would still come through every now and then. And she is intelligent enough to see it and would be, you know, would reject it because of that. Uh, How how do you guys feel about uh, Wonder Woman and Lois? Yeah, I was uh, I was a little bit underwhelmed by the treatment of some of the female characters in this story. Not that they were treated like terribly, but I just think that they didn't get a lot of uh, character development or explanations. I think that what you mentioned about Lois Lane was a great point. I think we should have gotten a little background about why she married Lex or what she saw in Lex, like maybe a flashback to the meeting or them being in love. Because as it was, I feel like if my husband called me and was like, I'm just gonna, could we take a 23 year sabbatical? <laughs> I'd be like, cool love your thought process. What if we just got divorced? (laughs) Uh, I don't think that there was ever really a good explanation in the text about why she would stay with Lex, considering how insane of a request that Mm -hmm. is. And then as Lex becomes more uh, obsessed with Superman and more obsessed with killing Superman and more of a, basically the Lex as we know, power hungry Mm -hmm. and sort of villainous, he also becomes meaner to her. Like he shuts down the daily planet for no reason just to spite her and she still really sticks by him and I don't I don't feel like I feel like it could be like they could have found a way to make that work but they weren't really interested in getting into that so as it is it's sort of inexplicable to me um some of her decisions in this it's just kind of like and then Lois is is married to Lex and she's putting up with him for question mark reasons as (laughs) I just didn't and I felt that the Wonder Woman thing was the same um I don't I mean it is a, a, a Superman story and so I do think if you have Wonder Woman in there, there is a a chance that it might feel more like his story is getting diluted. Um, but I do feel like I don't feel like the um, like the love interest aspect of like her pining after him was necessary to the story and kind of made her seem like a little bit m- like. 
a little bit more of a wishy-washy character. Mm-hmm. Like, her anger at him at the end, which I think is completely justified, um, it does come off a little bit like... Um, like a woman scorned kind of thing where I feel like it, that wasn't a, that wasn't something that was necessary to the story. Like we could have gotten there without the, without the pining. Didn't uh, Lois even say that Lex was uh, taking down the, the daily planet because uh, he couldn't stand to know that she loves something aside from him. Yeah. 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 It's a, I mean, she, she even like recognizes that he's being cruel to her on purpose. And yet I feel like we never get her perspective on, well, why is she still there? What is like, does she feel trapped? Is that it? Like, we just don't, I just don't feel like I ever got Lois Lane's perspective on anything in this story. She exists as a character to sort of move around the the board and be Lois Lane, but I don't feel like we ever get any insight into her like we do into Lex or into um, Superman or even into Batman. Maybe I'm stretching here, but it seems like every character in this is making a blatant mistake that their primary universe version didn't make. And I'm yeah. wondering if Lois is, was just being won over by Lex and staying with him. If that, Because aside from that, she's mostly the Lois Lane that we know. But she seems to tolerate Lex. And maybe in this book, that's like her one big mistake. You know, like Superman rules with an iron fist. Uh, Batman uses more extreme methods to, and takes his own life. Uh, Wonder <laughs> Woman supports a crueler Superman. Hal Jordan, uh, he has this incredible willpower, but he applies it to a very vicious purpose. He wants revenge uh, instead of justice. Um, and Lois Lane, it could just be she's made a terrible decision and she's sticking by it. <laughs> she's like, this This is a decision I made and I see no reason to revise anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, she does eventually become First Lady of the United States and she has her own... Uh, segment or, or portion of power that she has to wield and uh, uh, a sense of uh, high position in the United States government uh, that she has to kind of stick by Lex's side because of that. Um, but I, I think that's a, a, a valid question of, you know, why why did this version of Lois Lane end up with Lex Luthor? And what I think is really interesting for me in terms of the Lois-Superman dynamic in this story is that Lois, like their dynamic, I think is of course much more romantic than the Lex Lois relationship, even though they are married and Superman and Lois can't be together. And they even have that um, great page where they mention that, that they both sort of feel something when they, they uh, interact for the first time and meet each other. uh, But they can't because she is married to that, that uh, redheaded crazy man who likes puzzles <laughs> and uh, gets beaten uh, by Bizarro at chess. Um, but I I find it very romantic in a weird way um, that uh, that there's sort of this um, push and pull with them, but they can't end up together. And um, there's even that bit where um, 
Lois is on the the top of the Daily Planet, and she talks about the dreams that she's had every night since she was a little girl. That that the dream is that she's falling through the clouds, but she's not afraid because she knows that Superman is there to catch her. And so I, I sort of maybe this is me just reading into it, but maybe there's this this idea that she's grown up with this idea of this Superman, but she never. Uh, he was never attainable until a certain point when he showed up. And so I, I kind of see Lois in this one as her settling for Lex. Lex was a powerful man. He's a doctor. He um, has all these ambitions. And um, so I think that that's, pro- and that's really sad that maybe she settled for that instead of trying to find he, the literal, literal man of her dreams. Um, so I, I think that, uh, that's what I think is so sad about Lois in this, is that she, she does make this choice and she does see it through. Um, but I guess there, there must've been something about Lex that she loved. Um, and in terms of Wonder Woman, uh, I, I think, uh, what really kind of creeps me out in terms of the Amazon's uh, Themyscira kind of stuff, it, there's a, there's a page uh, there's two panels where Hippolyta's talking to Stalin, and Stalin basically puts the moves on Hippolyta like he wants something from her. And I was like, oh, oh, this, the, this whole thing is gross. I don't like any of this. So it's very strange because they seem, uh, Stalin and Superman, the, the, he sees, uh, especially Stalin in terms of what he wants out of Superman. He wants Superman to marry a certain kind of woman. And so he wants uh, Superman and Wonder Woman to be together. Um, And so there's this uh, trying to marry these two powerful people off together. And that goes back to the free will aspect for me in the story is that Superman says, you know, I want to be able to choose my own wife um, instead of having someone do it for him and him being under the control of someone else. Um, So, yeah, the the women have some, some... I don't want to say negative qualities, but they aren't treated as well. It seems to be more of a chess game between Superman and Lex Luthor in the story. Um, but I, I think uh, some of the the ways that they are put in these positions of power, I find, find very interesting. And I, I know we talked a little bit about Batman a while back, but I should mention that this this look of Batman is one of my favorite uh, physical uh adaptations of Batman <laughs> in terms of the way he looks. He has a cool hat. I really appreciate that. I think I even read that the the artist was like, well, he's in Russia. It's cold. So it <laughs> makes sense for him to have that hat because I guess people, some people may, may have made fun of it. Listen, never make fun of that hat because I think this is the, this is the coziest version of Batman. Like this is the, this is the Batman for cuffing season. Like you're going to get out, you're going to have a Netflix binge with this Batman. He's got that warm hat on. He's ready. He's ready for any kind of weather situation. (laughs) I love this version of Batman. And I think what's really clever about this story is the, the way that they introduce the origin of Batman um, the the way it sort of builds in terms of uh, you know the shooting of his you know Bruce's parents when he's a kid and how that creates the Batman um, just in turning the pages when you get to that point it's like oh I see what you did I see what you did I like that um, so, so the way that they um, incorporate that I think is is really well done and um, the friction between Superman and Batman in the story I think is really interesting too because 
Batman, I think, really does uh, stand for the free will of the people. He doesn't want to be controlled. Um, he he basically says, you know, you're not from here, or you're you know, you're an alien. You're not like us, and uh, we you know we want to be humans and we want to be free, basically. And so I think that's uh, something that Batman. I, I see that on a lot of versions of Batman that he's the the guy to stand up to Superman in that regard. So um, I I think they're their interaction is one of the standouts for me in terms of their fight and their, their differences. Didn't he refer to Batman or I think he's called Batman cough or some people refer to him like that. Ah, uh, yeah. But yeah, I think at one point Superman uh, referred to him as anarchy in black. Yes. That's, a, that's a great page because <laughs> that page shows the full uh, costume for this version of Batman, which I love so much. Uh, yeah. His, his thoughts on, on Batman are, are, are not, uh, not great, but Batman also does not uh, think very highly of Superman either. So um, I guess they're not going to be besties in this one. Yeah, this is not one of those uh, two heroes having a misunderstanding before teeping up kind of situation. Uh, oh, no, Batman uh, w- wants to kill him. He's basically being hired by people um, to, to team up with Lex Luthor to take down uh, this Superman. Yeah. And it's interesting that he says, uh, I think he talks about, you know, despite being stronger and faster than everyone, um, nothing ever will defeat, uh, I, I guess just human ingenuity, but yeah, that, that's why he had the, the bomb inside. He was ready to, uh, be a martyr for his cause. And that's exactly what he ended up doing. He says he would rather become a martyr than become a Superman robot. And I, that, that just, uh, you know, to me, that that's so terrifying to not when I think about what would happen if I was controlled by someone else and I couldn't think for myself. To me, that is terrifying. And um, so I think um, Batman, you know, is a character who is very smart. He uses his intellect a lot when he's a detective and when he's trying to figure things out. And so I think for a character like Batman, his ability to think for himself is very, very important. Um, So to to see him do that. I, I remember when I first read Red Sun, the my my biggest memory of the book, anytime somebody would bring it up or think about it. I would think of Batman blowing himself up. That was my takeaway from the book when I first read it was, oh my gosh, they blew up Batman in that book. What the heck? But <laughs> now that I look back on it, I, I think that that's, you know, it's uh, it's deeper than that for me. It's, it's more of him uh, making a statement about wanting to be free and not being Superman's pet um, and not being somebody that um, can be controlled. So uh, I think that that's very uh, a, a very strong characterization for the character Batman in this one. Yeah, and it also speaks a lot about just how drastically different this version of Superman is. Um, when Batman had a conflict with Superman in, I believe it was uh, John Byrne's run, uh, the Man of Steel limited series, was mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Um, when Batman bluffs his way out of an encounter, doesn't he th- say that he has bombs like set up throughout the city or something at one point to uh, get back, uh, Superman off his back. I, I don't recall exactly how it played out. This may need to be edited if I'm belatedly <laughs> wrong here, uh, but I could have sworn that Batman bluffs to uh, save himself from Superman, but he does that because he knows Superman is inherently good. And Superman is, you know, someone who wants to help and he will never let anyone get hurt. And at the end of the day, Red Sun Superman is similar. He also 
wants to help and he doesn't want anyone to be hurt. But the way he goes about doing that is so different. He is willing to lobotomize people and say, you know, basically, if you're not going to protect yourself, I'm going to make sure you're safe by controlling you. And that's that's frightening. Uh, yeah, it shows how far this version of Superman has fallen to try to obtain world peace. And it's really sad because this this Superman doesn't want to assume power. He doesn't, you know, he's very reluctant to take that on at the very beginning of his, uh, I guess, reign, administration, whatever you want to call it. Um, but he does he does spiral out of control and he does uh, control people because that's that's the way to make a perfect utopia is to make sure everybody, I guess, is on the same page and are not thinking for themselves and that you can control them and move them around like a like a pawn on a chessboard. Um, Morgan, were there any other characterizations of characters that, that we know and love that you saw in this story that really stood out to you as different or um, that that you thought were, uh, I don't know, like a unique take on the characters? Well, I was surprised to see uh, our boy James Olsen as the <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. potential, what was he, he going to be the the director of the CIA and later he becomes the vice president with Lex. Uh, it was weird to see uh, Jimmy Olsen like being associated with Lex Luthor. I thought that was an interesting take because we see so many other characters sort of in the roles that Lois Lane is a reporter and Perry White is her editor. Um, but Jimmy Olsen is uh, a part of the U uh, S government. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he um, he's not Superman's pal in this story. Mm-hmm. He's Lex Luthor's pal. Um, so that is definitely uh, a different take for this one. Um, that, that Jimmy is... Uh, I, just thinking about Jimmy Olsen as vice president is uh, very funny to me. But yeah, he and, he and Lex are on Air Force One. They go into the Phantom Zone. Uh, so they, they have a lot of shenanigans and adventures together. Um, uh, Greg, were there any other, uh, takes on the characters, uh, that you thought were unique and different? We were talking about how all these characters are distorted versions of themselves. And that definitely holds true for Hal Jordan, where his display of willpower is surviving being, um, kidnapped. Well, is it technically kidnapped, uh, held captive and tortured, or at least I could have sworn he was tortured. Uh, and just enduring all of that, his willpower got him through that. And instead of becoming this great hero, he then used that drive and that determination to get revenge and make the people who hurt him suffer. Uh, (laughs) He's not a good person in this universe. Well, I mean, I guess that could be argued. Um, I'm sure there are people out there who... Uh, may think, you know, what he did was justified, but I think it's clearly trying to show that this is definitely a very different version of Hal Jordan, and uh, in the end, it uh, doesn't go too well against Superman. I thought the commentary there um, was interesting when Superman said something along the lines of, uh, you're using a weapon that's thought-based against someone who can move faster than the speed of thought. Not very smart there. Yeah, and they they go in there with a plan. I think Lex, you know, tells them what to do with their um, 
with their with their rings and how they can use their constructs to defeat him. But none of that goes as planned, um, and it, it doesn't go so well f- uh, for the lanterns. Um, but I thought it was neat that they they mentioned that Lex. Uh, I think maybe it's, maybe it's a. Uh, our, our pal Jimmy Olsen, he's like, you know, Lex, why didn't you just put the ring on? And Lex is like, because of the willpower thing, I don't have it. Uh, so, so, so Lex couldn't actually use the ring for himself. So he did recruit Hal Jordan to do that. Um, the the one take that really surprises me in this one, because uh, most of the characters, you know, they kind of do sort of fill in most of the things that we would think about them, like Lana's um, this version of Superman's, you know. Uh, crush next door the redhead next door best friend growing up keeps a secret uh you know batman you know is kind of like batman that we know wonder woman lois lane kind of like how we know him um but oliver queen has a real brief there's a really really (laughs) brief moment of oliver queen in this story and he's uh, a writer at the daily planet and i was like what is this yeah i was surprised about that too i had to like go back to that page to make sure i hadn't like goofed <laughs> yeah so that that was a different take on the oliver queen character but he's the, he's there he's got his goatee he he's uh interacting with perry white so i i think that's very interesting that there's no there's a, there's a little bit of clark kent at the end of this story um but in terms of clark kent at the daily planet there is no such thing uh so i guess oliver queen sort of takes that uh, that role uh, replaces the Clark Kent there. So I, w- I was kind of mad at Lois. I was like, why didn't you maybe pursue a relationship with Oliver Queen? <laughs> um, maybe Oliver was a big jerk and she didn't want to have anything to do with him. But then also she was married to Lex Luthor for a really long time. So I don't know. Lois, Lois has made some bad choices in the story. Uh, but I, I did think that the Oliver Queen stuff was very interesting. Um, okay, so we've we've sort of briefly mentioned that there are some twists and turns in this one, um, and I think for me the biggest one comes at the end. Uh, but if there are any other twists that that you didn't see coming that you want to mention, um, we can talk about those. But what did you all think about the ending? How do you interpret that, uh, and, and do you think it's a satisfying ending? Um, Greg, what what are your thoughts? Uh, yes, I absolutely think it's a satisfying ending. Um, it's it's totally unexpected, but it gives me goosebumps every time. Um, just the thought that Lex Luthor <laughs> is is the cause of Superman. He's he's. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's Lex Luthor's actions that eventually bring about the creation of Superman, and. Um, Sending him back. Well, in, in terms of uh, Lex Luthor and how he brings about Superman, are you are you talking about his uh, his descendants, as it were, mm-hmm. his, his family lineage? Yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, Superman is quite literally Lex Luthor's relative. Uh, but the whole time, Lex Luthor is obsessed with this this alien, this outsider who's messing with humanity. But at the end of the day, it's it's yeah, it's it's someone from his own family. Yeah. And so I guess that goes back to that question of whether or not he's Kryptonian or not. Um, We do know that he has a rocket ship that comes from somewhere, but uh, the rocket ship maybe comes from Earth. Uh, I don't know. How do you how do you interpret that? Do you do you think that he's Kryptonian or do you think he's just an Earthling who is tied to the Lex Luthor uh, lineage? You know, I'm actually holding the comic in front of me. I'm trying to see if um, on that page, if the captions 
make it clear whether Earth is the planet where the sun eventually becomes red. So, yeah, I was very con- I was confused by the ending. I was like, does this mean that he just went back and everything starts again? Do you think we're on Earth or do you think we're on Krypton? Because that's another question um, that I guess could be posed as well. I don't know. I think it's supposed to be Earth because when we see the Daily Planet, um, you know, the plans to destroy it, the city around it is uh, becoming very high tech. I'm trying to actually uh, flip to that page. Yeah, and all the buildings around it are kind of uh, sci-fi-ish in their design. They're not your typical skyscrapers. Um, and then I think it's how many years pass when we reach that future? Uh, it's It's been a while because they go through, so I think it starts in like the 1950s and then we flash forward like 20-something years, 23 years, something like that. And then there's a period where I think Lex Luthor lives, does he live for 800 years? 400 years, something like He lives for many centuries um, before he dies. Um, so this is, this is quite some time in the future. It's interesting because they do talk about colonizing other planets uh, as their society expanded. As once Superman was no longer in the picture, even though he was you know, still alive, Lex Luthor went on to accomplish everything that he could without being obsessed with needing to prove he's better than Superman. Now it's just proving what he can do. And as he did that, there's a comment somewhere, I'm trying to find it, where he talks about uh, not only does he cure all these diseases and everything, but he, um, Earth moves, essentially, well, humanity moves beyond Earth. I could have sworn there was something about colonizing, but maybe it was just the solar system, not actually, you know, beyond that. And if that's the case, then it would definitely be Earth in the very end. Uh, that, that's how I always interpreted it. Even if they uh, expanded, uh, I always viewed it as just this alternate take where um, Lex Luthor builds up this Lex Luthor and you know his lineage built up this incredibly advanced science fictiony society on Earth, which you know could be viewed as a little similar to Krypton, I guess, maybe in uh, the technology and um, I guess the uh, the conveniences that that kind of technology brings in terms of life expectancy. But, um, I mean, at the end of the day, when Lex Luthor dies, you see Superman is dressed like the Clark Kent everyone knows and recognizes, so it's not like they're wearing Kryptonian garb, you know? Yeah, the, the, the Kryptonian garb doesn't really come until the end when we... Uh, when we get to meet uh, Jor-El and I guess this this version of Lara in the story, um, that's that's very much kind of the the classic Kryptonian uh, look from the comics. Uh, so we don't really get that till the very end. Um, Morgan, what, what's what's your take? How do you how do you wrap your your brain around this ending? Yeah, I had a hard time with the ending because it uh, blew my mind. Uh, I don't think that there. Are- on Krypton, I do feel like they're on Earth, but then I also feel like he's being sent back in time. So the whole thing, the whole sequence of events is just going to kickstart itself over again. Um, but I don't know that that explains the powers. So <laughs> I was just confused. Yeah, that's that's the thing is where would Superman get his abilities if he's just 
uh, from Earth. Unless they have developed powers at some point mm-hmm. in the, you know, they're already living until they're 800 years old True. and there's a, uh, and they're not sleeping anymore. They're not so that's going to yeah. do some weird stuff to you. I that, think that's a, that's a superpower. So, so I think that there is, I mean, I think that you can create a, like a mental situation where you think that maybe they've, um, maybe they would have powers or maybe they all are stronger and faster. And then when they're sent back all the way to like, I think this comic starts somewhere in the forties that they, that Superman would have powers different than the humans at that time period. Well, um, I, I think there's, there's a line that, uh, well, a, uh, a text bubble that really explains all of it. Um, I think they're kind of in a loop, which is why I always get goosebumps that, you know, you go through this great read and then it hits you that it's all going to start over again. Uh, but in the end, when they're loading Cal L into the spaceship, they say, do we really have to send them so far back, Jor-El? The sun's rays were yellow in those days. They're people weak and primitive. He's Ooh. going to be so different from everyone. And then uh, Jor responds, but he'll be strong. He'll be fast. He'll be virtually indestructible. So I think that they just adapted to a red sun and Cal was raised with a red sun. And then by being exposed to the yellow sun, it gives him the power. So it's basically Earth eventually came this alternate, uh, became, excuse me, this alternate version of Krypton. And then in sending, instead of sending Cal out to a different planet, the ship is able to go back in time. And, uh, it ends with, uh, uh, what do they say? Uh, go back and change the world so that we might not become this cold, complacent lot. And that just goes to show that Lex Luthor improved the quality of life, but not their spirits. Superman saves your spirit. Lex Luthor can uh, give you great medical benefits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's a really good point. Yeah, for me, the ending, I, I think it's really clever. I think the idea of us seeing this story unfold over this long period of time and then seeing it sort of reset itself. It's, uh, it's a really clever ending. But for me, I almost kind of, every time I see it, I, I want it to do something different. I don't want it to go back and redo the whole thing over again. I Part of me is like, I want these characters to have learned something from this whole story. And so in my mind, if it was my story, and this is probably not what um, Mark Millar would have intended, but um, the fact that it, at the at the end it says, go back and bring a little light to our lives again, that, that sort of signals to me that maybe the story should have gone in the way that when he goes back in time, maybe he lands in Smallville, Kansas and becomes the Superman that we know. Um, so I, that I've always kind of struggled with because I, I, th- I think the characters, if they just go back and reset and do it all over again, then they're not learning anything. And so I, I sort of, in in the depths of my soul when I read this, I'm <laughs> like, ah, I want there to be a different outcome at the end. I, I totally get where you're coming from. And that would be a very rewarding ending but i think the most important part here which is what we discussed earlier in the end lex luther thinks he won he uh on the chessboard it's checkmate and this goes to show what happens when lex luther wins and there's no inspiring figure in the world it's lex luther and you know lex luther's relatives leading humanity 
instead of, and, and there's no one around like Superman to give people hope. So it's kind of a tragic ending because as long as Lex Luthor wins, humanity is doomed. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way to look at it because for for as much as Lex did to benefit mankind, it still ended with them sort of in this Kryptonian situation where they had to ship their 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 last son uh, out t- to save his life. So really, in the end, ultimately, all of that was maybe for nothing that it, it turned out badly in the end, even though he won. Yeah. And I think it makes sense too, because you know, Lex is very logical and very much about being the smartest person in the room. And I think, um, there's not a lot of humanity to him. Um, so it would make sense that as society that he spearheaded would become more, um, more like the <clears throat> Krypton that we've sort of seen in like flashbacks and various versions where it's sort of a, a society based on, on logic, but not a lot of emotion. But I, um, I, li- I liked the ending actually. I, I liked the, uh, that it was a little bit bleak. I feel like, um, sometimes you don't always get that, but I, I think that it does make sense with the, the themes of the, of the comic. It's funny because Lex Luthor spends all this time hating an alien or someone he thinks to be an alien. And yet through his victory and his methods, he creates a world that feels alien. And he basically created his own worst enemy yes. uh, <laughs> in, in a lot of ways. Uh, because technically, I think if you if you look at it, the Kal-El is his great, 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 you know, <laughs> going on and on like, um, so like a, a descendant of his. So in a lot of ways, he, he actually created this, uh, the whole situation that he spends his whole life fighting. Yeah. And I do wonder though, if, if you, if you send him back in time, would it, again, I guess this goes back in, in terms of the different theories on time travel. You have the paradoxical and you have the non-paradoxical. And the, as far as I remember uh, my my theory knowledge uh, from Lost, when I was watching Lost, um, paradoxical is the idea that you can change the past. Um, you, can, you can go back and you can uh, Marty McFly it and uh, things get a little crazy uh, and, and you can have an alternate timeline. Um, or the non-paradoxical uh, theory where... No matter what you do, you're going to make the same choices every time. Everything's going to be the same. Um, and so I guess in terms of the, the those two different theories on time travel, uh, which one would would it ultimately go with? You know, my my um, I guess the what I want out of the ending is that I want it to be the the paradoxical that maybe maybe this uh, maybe this baby goes. And lands in the Ukraine in 1938, but that baby grows up and makes different choices and becomes uh, a better Superman that ends up uh, making different choices. Or is it like the non-paradoxical time travel where he's just going to make the same choices, he's going to become that authoritarian tyrant that he ends up becoming, and they're going to have that same uh, those same conversations. He's going to still work with Brainiac. Um, so I guess that's sort of where I sort of butt heads with the comic because it doesn't necessarily answer that, which I kind of like. I like that it's sort of open-ended and then we can talk about it and theorize it, about it. Um, so I would rather it be open-ended than tell me exactly what's going to happen. But I guess that's where I uh, butt heads with the story is that I don't know which theory of time travel uh, would ultimately result. So there's a lot of great uh, images in this story. 
a lot of, uh, I think, Greg, you mentioned the, the propaganda. It's very heavy in this. Um, there's a lot of uh, real-life political history in this. We see Eisenhower. We see JFK. We see uh, Marilyn Monroe in this. Um, so we, we have some really great art and a lot of Easter eggs that go in with that art. So, um, Greg, do you have any like favorite pages or panels that, that really stuck out to you in the story? Yeah, for me, it has to be the whole... Uh daily planet uh globe sequence that's when um lex luther um causes i think it was sputnik 2 to come crashing towards metropolis and even though it's in the united states superman still want to help anyone if he's able to so i love the way the whole scene is choreographed where you get sort of this uh shot from a distance where you see you get the perspective of superman zipping in and then you get a close-up of his hands grabbing on to the satellite and then a close up of him pulling up the satellite and then it pulls back to see him flying it out. I believe, uh, uh, I think it's a bay or the ocean. I'm not sure which in this, uh, story. Um, but then afterwards, um, what occurs with the, the actual globe on top of the daily planet when it falls and that splash page of Superman, not only meeting Lois Lane for the first time, but also, uh, holding a balloon for a child uh, who he's saving. And it just shows that even though this Superman is different, the Superman everyone knows and loves still exists in there. Yeah, he's he's in there somewhere. He hasn't quite gone uh, a tyrannical figure at this point yet. Um, but yeah, he is uh, trying to help out people even if they aren't uh, citizens of his country. And that I think that page is an homage to Superman number one. Um, a very classic Superman cover, so it's it's neat to see the um, the combination of sort of the red sun, I guess, propaganda a little bit with the uh, iconography of Superman. So yeah, that, that's a that's a really really great page. Um, Morgan, do you have any uh, pages panels that stuck out to you when you were reading this? There were um, so many of them because it's uh, quite long. Uh, but I think I really liked the way that they played with some of the like the Soviet uh, propaganda sort of style of, of of artwork, and they sort of worked that into um, the the images of Superman. I thought that that was really cool. I can't seem to find any examples as I'm skimming through, uh, but they do it a lot throughout the uh, throughout the book, and I think it's I thought it was a, a really cool way to bring that sort of time period to life. Um, I also really liked, I think this is page 33, where we're seeing the origin story of Batman, and you see, like, the little boy, like, crying and all the bats. I thought that was really, really, a really cool way, because uh, before that, previously, I hadn't put it together, because they don't, you know, they don't say his name or anything, and I was like, oh, yeah, this, you know, he killed this little boy's parents. Oh, no, it's Batman. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The poor Waynes cannot catch a break no matter what reality they're in. They always have to die. They always have to die. Yeah, that's a a great page turn. Um, It's very, very effective. Um, So, yeah, I like that, too. And in terms of the the Batman stuff, there's also a great panel that I really liked on page 84. Um, It's basically using uh, the, the symbol of the bat to put a bunch of different other images in it. So you sort of see the the awesome Russian Superman with his cool hat. Um, but, then, <laughs> but then you also see little Bruce with his, you know, his dead mother. And I just, it, it says a lot to me about like, this is what this Batman 
thinks about and carries with him in terms of his history and um, his history with the the government and the fact that uh, his parents were involved in anti-Superman. Apparently, according to the people in the government, they were uh, handing out, you know, anti-Superman stuff and they were uh, uh, dissidents is the word I'm looking for. Um, and so I, I just, I think that's a very impactful page. There's a lot of great Easter eggs, uh, in here. Um, there's, uh, an homage to Action Comics number one on page 106. Uh, it's very small, but I like that. I also like on, uh, let's see what page, uh, page 69, there's, a an image of this version. He's not really Clark Kent. I don't know if we can say that, but he's Superman in overalls. And he's, uh, he's, he, he looks like he's stronger than a locomotive. He's there with a, with a train. And so that, that, that Superman iconography is very, very strong there. Um, I also really like the Batman and Superman fight, uh, because of the red coloring and the way that, that just really, that, that pops to me with all that red, uh, with the red side. I think that's really, really pretty. Um, and I think my favorite page, like my favorite page in this whole book is on page 21, where it's uh, Superman talking about the first time that he meets Lois Lane and how in the future, you know, fiction writers will write a, a story about how they fell in love and it will win a Pulitzer. And he doesn't know why people are so connected to that story. Um, but I just, that page, there's not a lot of action in it, but the the way it's laid out and the, the dialogue in the page um, is just very effective for me that, that, um, uh, through all of this, there is, there is a love story in there somewhere. Um, so I, I think that that page is probably my favorite in the whole book. It's funny on that page, uh, the top panel is great with Superman's expression, but the one where, uh, in the middle where he's looking at her with the shading on his face and the way his eyebrows are placed it looked almost like an evil look to me. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I, I can, I can totally get that because half of his face is in the dark and half is, half of his mm-hmm. face is in the light. So I, I think that's probably very intentional. A little bit of symbolism going on there. Yeah, yeah, he's got that, he's got that, uh, that S curl there, but he's still maybe, maybe not the Superman that that we know. Uh, but I, I really, really like that page just because I think it says so much about the the characters, despite their Elseworld counterparts. Um, their story is always going to be something that um, connects to people. Yeah, and, and the facial expressions play such an essential role in this story. I mean, especially some of the stuff with Batman. I mean, like with the look he gives when he's smiling sometimes. Uh, it's kind of this sinister, twisted smile. And uh, some of the looks while talking about that scene in Metropolis there, there are several panels of just people reacting to what's going on, and I thought those were great. Yeah, the, but this Batman, uh, he, he does a lot of growling, uh, a lot of grimacing in his face, <laughs> um, uh, which, which I uh, enjoy from Batman. So, uh, yeah, I think this art, I think, is really, really awesome. Um, so it's very, very pretty to look at, and I think that's what makes this such an easy and, and good read, in my opinion. Um, so overall thoughts on Red Sun, Greg, um, what, what do you take away from it? I th- it's, it's interesting giving this a reread after Batman v Superman, <laughs> because uh, Batman v Superman, as we all know, it wasn't an evil version of Superman by any means, but it wasn't the version of Superman that many people went into the movie wanting to see. It kind of deconstructed the character just a little bit. I, well, no, it didn't really do that. It did that with Batman. With Superman, it took time building 
to the version of Superman that people would recognize. And then, well, un- unfortunately, we saw how that played out in Justice League. Oh, but <laughs> don't don't bring it up. It breaks my heart every time I think about it. <laughs> but it was a Superman who was very conflicted. It wasn't a Superman who was flying around smiling, always you know looking cheerful, always optimistic. It was a Superman who was questioning his actions, who deep down wanted to just help people. I mean, all throughout Man of Steel, the movie opens with him potentially sacrificing his life to help people. And then he does it two more times in that movie alone. And then he's also helping people throughout the movie. Uh, But he's not smiling when he does it. You know, he's doing it because he wants to, but that doesn't mean it's this happy thing that he's doing. He's doing it because, you know, deep down, he knows it's the right thing to do. Uh, And this version of Superman is also... Uh, helping people but it's a a darker take on the character that is one of the uh complicated aspects of this version of superman is that in his heart he does have these good intentions and does want to help people um and i think what is impactful for me at the at the end when he does take that turn um when he realizes that he's become brainiac is that he chooses to walk away from it you know he ends up saving the day in a big way there at the end um, and then he chooses to walk away because he's he's seen the effect that he's had. So there is something in him that is the Superman who's willing to be sacrificial and uh, do the right thing for humanity when it counts. Yeah, I think the parallel that I was trying to draw there was that Zack Snyder's Superman was forced the question, is he truly helping or is his presence hurting? Does the world need a Superman or is he just making things worse for humanity? And this version of Superman eventually comes to the realization that not only was he, you know, going about being Superman the wrong way, in the end he realizes humanity's better off if, well, actually I guess that's up for debate based on the ending, but he <laughs> believes, he, he in the end believes that, you know, I used my powers in the wrong way, the world doesn't need a Superman, humanity should exist on its own without my interference. And obviously we see that of course, the, the context is different because this is now a world that's been taken over by Lex Luthor and, you know, eventually it becomes this very cold version of humanity. And if Superman was around, maybe that wouldn't have been the case. Yeah, so it makes, uh, I guess the story makes the case for a need for Superman, but also a questioning of, do we need a Superman? So I think it does kind of go both ways with the story. Uh, so, Morgan, since this was your, your first time reading Superman Red Sun, what were, what were your reactions to it when you finished reading it? I thought it was really interesting. I like, I like it when um, the stories take a different, have a different take on the characters. I thought this was a really fascinating what-if scenario. Um, and I liked seeing where all the different characters were um, and where they ended up. And I, I really... And I like, as I said, I liked the ending. I thought it was really interesting and made me go, whoa, what? And really <laughs> think, um, I, I really like this. This is, um, you know, I have, I've been slacking off in my comics reading uh, lately. And uh, this has been one of the, the ones I've liked the most uh, that I've read um, in the past, uh, maybe in the past year. So I, I really enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, I think for me, this is one of uh, the better Superman comic stories. Uh, I think it's a, it's a great Elseworlds, one of the better Elseworlds that I, I've read. Um, even though I do s- 
part of me wishes that ending was a little bit different. I do uh, like that the ending takes a risk and it does something that you don't expect. And um, I do think that it's neat to explore, like you were talking about, Morgan, the, uh, the what if scenario. What if not only uh, Superman lands in a different place, but what if other characters in that world made different decisions and they were um, in different positions uh, on that chessboard? What, what would that look like for all of these characters? How does Superman's presence in a, in a different scenario, how does that uh, shape the rest of these characters? So uh, I do like being able to follow through with that. And, and even though it's different, even though it's an Elseworld, there are, there are a lot of familiar things that are embedded within the story that, uh, that I was still caring about the characters and I still cared about their decisions and what they were doing. Um, so I, I highly recommend Superman Red Sun. It is very unique in terms of its storytelling and its characterizations. Um, and I, I do think it, it says a lot about uh, free will versus control. Uh, I think the, the, the comic Greg made early on when we started talking about this, about you know, uh, freedom versus you know, uh, security. Um, so I think that that, uh, there's a lot of big themes and a lot of big, uh, explorations in terms of even, uh, the real history of the United States, the real history of the Soviet Union, you know, even doing a, an Elseworld, what if take of, you know, what if, uh, Nixon was the one who was assassinated in 1963? What would that look like? How would that change? Um, so those kinds of things, I really, I think that that's, uh, fun to explore and think about. So I, I think Elseworlds are the, the best place to, um, to do that. Um, so Morgan, since we are um, talking about Supergirl season four, and the, this is the kind of the reason that we wanted to read Superman Red Sun, this is why this came up. Um, how do you think this, because uh, just to let the listeners know, we're recording this before season four starts. So maybe this, <laughs> maybe this will change by the time that we release this episode. Um, so we haven't actually seen if they are going to introduce the Red Sun aspect of it in the premiere. But how do you think that now that we've read this, do you, how do you see this playing into season four? Huh, that's, that's a, that's an interesting question because I feel like before I had read this, um, I would have said that, you know, since this is their inspiration, it's very obvious how they're going to use it. But since this is sort of an Elseworld story and, uh, everybody is really different, I think that they're going to use the sort of the idea of, um, a Superman that is, you know, still a, a kind of recognizable as the Superman that we know, but just sort of aligned to different values. And I'm assuming that maybe that's what they're going to do with this version of Kara. Um, the version that sort of ends up in wherever she is. I think it's like Russia or Siberia. Um, that she's going to maybe be similar to the Kara we know, but also um, just working towards the goals that she thinks are correct. Um, I think it's going to be sort of like a mirror um, for our version of Kara, sort of to see the the path not taken. Um, and I could definitely see the Red Sun version of Kara being more, you know, um, power hungry or authoritarian um, versus our version of Kara. 
Yeah, I think that's probably maybe how they're going to go about it. Um, part of me likes that idea, but then part of me is like, well, didn't we kind of see that with Rain in season three? It does feel a little bit like a retread, like how many different versions of uh, of a Supergirl-like character can we get? Like, you're right. I think we. I think Rain was sort of supposed to be the dark mirror for Kara, and now we're going to have a very literal <laughs> dark mirror for Kara. I mean, if you didn't get that Rain was supposed to be like the reverse Supergirl, what if we just had Supergirl be the villain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the The thing that after rereading this, um, after not having read it for so long. Um, I think when I think about Supergirl in season four and then think about Red Sun, I don't know that it makes a lot of sense to incorporate it into the show. I mean, I, 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 I just I think what makes Red Sun so special and so unique is that there is no Superman that we know in it. It's a different version of Superman and we have to see what his choices and how he goes about things, um, what that changes for everyone else. So when you put a, uh, a the Supergirl that we know versus this, I guess, Red Daughter version of Supergirl, I don't know that it has the same impact. If that makes any sense, I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I think that uh, you're, they're obviously not going to be able to do a straight adaptation, but I just think that it loses some of that Elseworld feeling, that what-if feeling, because we already have our Supergirl. So I don't know that it's going to be as effective as maybe the, the Red Sun aspect of, of the story is. So I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll have to see what they do. Maybe they've got something up their sleeves that, uh, you know, you and I are not thinking about because <laughs> uh, we obviously don't know where they're going to go with this and how it's going to fit into the season as a whole. Um, but uh, I, I think uh, exploring that is, I, I guess, worth... Uh, going about doing just to see what what it would be like if Kara maybe grew up or was um uh had different values instilled in her in, instead of her living with uh, Eliza and Jeremiah and Alex how would that be different so um I, I guess I guess you can go about it that way but then again it's like well but this other Kara is like a grown-up version of Kara she's not gonna have grown up in Russia from you know the time she was a baby so she's not going to have those things instilled in her how does that how does she get those beliefs I, I don't know so I think maybe I'm overthinking it that that was sort of my same takeaway is that like before I read the comic I thought well yeah this is that's what it's about and obviously uh that's what they're going to be drawing from and now that I've read it I, I kind of think well, I think it's going to be more inspiration than anything else because the the circumstances are very different. Yeah. So I guess we'll have to see uh, what they what they choose to incorporate from that story into season four and how they go about it. So I'm excited to see what they do. Well, I think that's going to do it for our uh, review and discussion of Superman Red Sun. So thank you so much, Greg, for coming on Supergirl Radio to share your knowledge and your thoughts about this story. Because uh, I know we had we had a lot of questions, we had some speculation, so it was good to kind of hash it out and kind of talk about it with other people. It's always uh, good to do. So where can our listeners find you on the internet? Sure, and uh, thank you again. Um, they can find me on Twitter at Greg Katzman. Uh, my first name is spelled G-R-E-G-G, and the last name starts with a K, and then should pop up from there. And um, 
I'm writing pretty frequently for comic book resources. Um, a decent amount of my New York Comic-Con coverage has uh, already been posted. Um, so if you are a DC fan um, and you're interested in some of the other uh, stuff that's going on in the world of DC, uh, both animated and in the comics, uh, I have quite a few articles uh, that are currently live and more on the way. They include interviews with uh, some of the people behind Batman the Animated Series, uh, including Kevin Conroy and Tara Strong. Um, I had an interview uh, with Constantine, City of Demons, uh, the people behind that. There's one on the way for the animated movie Reign of Superman, as well as um, conversations with some DC uh, creators like Joshua Williamson, and uh, Peter J. Tomasi. That sounds awesome. So everybody should go and uh, check out comic book resources for all of Greg's stuff. Well, if you would like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. You can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can do that by calling 678-718-7252. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, and on Spotify, where we have a playlist that includes music featured on the show. Uh, we are also listed on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. Uh, we are available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio, so if you have some time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review over there. And if uh, you're like, Rebecca, that's too much information, you went really, really fast, uh, don't worry about that. You can just go to supergirlradio.com and you can find all of our links to all of those things on the right side of the page. Supergirl Radio is part of the DC TV Podcast Network, so if you also like Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, iZombie, Black Lightning, Krypton, Titans, Batwoman, and classic DC TV shows. <laughs> I'm working some new angles here. You can, you can subscribe to DC TV Podcasts on Apple Podcasts and follow at DC TV Podcasts on Twitter and like DC TV Podcasts on Facebook. Look, you got to mix it up every now and then. Listen, we... I'm just, I'm trying to keep it fresh for the listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Never know what's going to happen. It's always going to be a a guessing game. How is Morgan going to do it? Um, (laughs) So, yeah. uh, So this is the time of the year where all the shows are coming back. Yeah. So get excited about that. That means uh, new podcasts. New, new podcast episodes uh, in terms of discussing the episodes uh, will be coming back. And uh, if you're a big DC TV fan, uh, we have a DC TV podcast, a tea public store, which you can find some uh, awesome merch, T-shirts, tote bags, laptop cases, iPhone cases, onesies for your newborn. Yeah, you, you need a snap judgment onesie. <laughs> you do. I, that, that's going to make that child feel so so loved (laughs) you've got to raise them right you got to start them out right (laughs) (laughs) so you can get all sorts of merchandise at the t public store and you can find a link to that at supergirlradio.com and uh if you'd like to follow me you can find me on twitter at derby kid that's d-e-r-b-y-k-i-d and and i'm also on instagram over at the derby kid and uh you can watch some videos of mine over at youtube at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod I am also a contributor to JLU Podcast, which you can find over at jluniverse.podomatic.com. 
And uh, I do a little voice acting occasionally. Uh, I attempt it anyway um, on a sketch comedy podcast called The Fakus. Uh, so definitely subscribe because it's a zany, fun little show. Uh, and you can find me um, on Twitter um, at Mojotastic. That's M-O-J-O-T-S-T-I-C. Uh, you can also find me as a co-host on the Legends of Tomorrow podcast, which uh, Legends of Tomorrow is coming back pretty soon. Um, or uh, if you're listening to this, maybe has already come back. Uh, so that's, uh, that's what we'll be podcasting about. We sort of, <laughs> to be fair, we've sort of been a little lax the past, I want to say month, but maybe more. Uh, <laughs> but guess what? The show's back and so are we. Are we in podcasting shape? I don't know. Let's all find out together. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm not going to be watching the show, but I'm very, very excited about the podcast coming back. That's what I'm looking forward to. Awesome. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Supergirl Radio. But until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. I'm still Morgan Glennon. And thanks for hanging out with us in an Elseworld. Elseworlds.